0: Alright, well good morning. It's good to be here and uh, thankful that we do have several that are visiting, but even if we didn't have anyone visiting and it was a lone number, it would still be good to be here and, and worship God together and open up God's Word. We're going to be in 1 Peter 4. I had James read 1 Peter 3 just because it kind of sets the stage for what our lesson is about. Um, we're going to talk about suffering today, but we're not going to talk about suffering from the standpoint that uh, I think we usually do. It's more just on the preparation side. And um, I think in a recent study, we talked about the idea of suffering where it's kind of hard for us to really pinpoint how do we even suffer today. And so I'm not really going to talk about that. So uh, maybe that'll be a later lesson. I really want to focus on what he says in First Peter 4, where he talks about arming yourself with the same way of thinking, the same mind of Christ. Really what he's talking about is What frame of mind should you be in to suffer and how do you prepare to suffer? What does it even mean to suffer as a Christian? Because this whole conversation starting in chapter 3 and really going through uh, to the end of chapter 4 is a lot about suffering. It's a lot about, well, you don't suffer for sinning. I mean, you don't suffer for doing evil. That's, That's not what he's talking about. I mean, you can suffer for doing evil and for sinning but that's not really any benefit to you. Um, that's not at all something that God is pleased with, but he does want us to suffer as Christians. So how do we do that? And what frame of mind should we be in? And really, how should we prepare ourselves in order to suffer the way God wants us to suffer? So that's what we are, we're going to talk about um, this, this morning. Everybody knows that, that life brings sufferings. And when we say sufferings, I'm going to use that very loosely and just say difficulties. I don't necessarily only mean persecutions. Life brings on difficulties. Life is not very pleasant sometimes. But that is not necessarily all he's talking about here. If we want to talk about that, we can go to other passages. We can look at the life of Job. We can go to Ecclesiastes. We can look at some things Paul says about his life if we want to talk about all the different types of sufferings. But what we're talking about is not worldly suffering because that doesn't really benefit you at all suffering Because you're in the world and that's all there is doesn't bring on any glory in the future um, If you know that suffering happens either way whether you're doing good or doing evil. I mean there's still suffering Why not at least find some enjoyment in the midst of the difficulties, right? That, that's the that's like a a way of thinking in our culture is life is just terrible sometimes So at least like try to enjoy some of it. But Glenn, that's a, again, that's a very like ecclesiastical way of thinking Um, there's end of life, there's no way for you to to tell when that's going to happen. So might as well just labor with your hands as you have the opportunity and find enjoyment in life. But that's not considering what's after this life. That's just considering what's here on earth. If we want to take that approach that there are really dark days ahead, most likely because I've had some dark days in the past. So I might as well just live it up now. That's really just living with the passing pleasures of life that we know you can enjoy, but they're passing pleasures. Uh, those aren't things that, that actually last long. There, there's not true fulfillment with those things. There's no real joy there. Um, what we should do is we should focus on following Jesus. And as we studied in our Tuesday night class, he's the one that overcame the world. So if I want to overcome the trials and tribulations and the persecutions and the, the suffering of this world, maybe I should just follow Jesus. He, he's the one that's gonna lead me beyond that. But that doesn't mean that while following him, I am absolved from any suffering, that it, it's gonna be very easy and a piece of cake. Jesus says very clearly in that passage in John, uh, It really starts in uh, chapter uh, 13, I think, is when he starts really saying, I'm leaving. And I'm leaving, this is what's gonna happen. And it's going to be difficult for you because this is what's going to happen to you. John 17, which we studied last week, actually. Um, wait, was that two weeks ago? I think it was last week. Yeah, John 17 was last week in our Tuesday study. That's where we really talked about the fact that he says, the world hates me, it's going to hate you. And he's talking to his disciples. And then he goes on to say, and the, the message that the people will believe that's through those apostles, the world is going to hate those people as well. That's us. So that's why we have the suffering. So what should we do? How can we, what is our response to just that knowledge that there is suffering? Well, in 1 Peter 4, let's begin in verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I have approached this passage differently in the past. When he says, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, I thought that what really he's talking about here is, okay, I need to be, as purposed as Christ was. Christ knew that he was coming to this earth to suffer. And so he was able to make it through the suffering because he knew that was his purpose. So be intentional and, and arm yourself with with this. Um, maybe even if you want to go to Ephesians, you want to say, I need to put on the armor of God. That's how I arm myself. And I'm, I'm ready for the suffering. And, and I need to look forward to, to the glory. And that's how I arm myself. Kind of like know something good is happening in the long run, so that way I'm ready to suffer in the short term. But I actually don't think that's what he's talking about here. I think what he's saying here is that you need to arm yourself with the mind of Christ in that you stop sinning. You need to stop your earthly way of thinking, stop your sinful way of thinking and pursuing the pleasures of this life. That's how you prepare to suffer like Christ did, which is different. Because that's not very encouraging. <laughs> I, I think it's encouraging to say, stand your ground, be ready. You know, kind of like a pump-up speech for a, uh, some sort of team, like a football team. You know, it be like, get ready, men, you know, because it's going to be difficult. Get in the trenches and really, or even for war, whatever it might be, you know, really like rallying speech and, and thought to say, it's worth it. And you know what, we're going to make it through this difficult time and, and we're going to win. And you know what, even if I fall, it's going to be okay because it was worth the, the suffering. That's not what he says here. Everything he focuses on here as far as how to arm yourself with the mind of Christ with the same way of thinking has to do with ceasing from sin and focusing on how you can serve others. So that's what we're going to talk about today. First, let's just get this out of the way that suffering like Christ is not a spiritual suffering. Suffering like Christ is a fleshly, earthly suffering. He makes that point very clear, that Christ suffered in the flesh. Whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So we're not talking about suffering from a spiritual standpoint, suffer, like our soul is suffering. We're saying that, that we are suffering while in the flesh and suffering because of fleshly things, because of earthly things. We need to reject looking like the rest of the world and arm our mind, arm ourselves with the mind and the knowledge that we will suffer like Christ. And if, if we reject looking like the world, Jesus makes it very clear in the Gospel of John that the world will reject you. It, re- it rejected him. We will suffer for practicing a lifestyle of evangelism. And we will suffer for responding to evil with righteousness, for not rebuking those and, and, and speaking evil of those that speak evil of us. Not to say that we can't rebuke, but I mean rebuke just for rebuke's sake. You say something bad about me, you're going to hell. You know we shouldn't respond in that way. We didn't see, we don't see Jesus do that. We will suffer for aligning our lives to the living stone being Christ as the cornerstone, and we're going to suffer by being living epistles of righteousness in the society. That that's what we're talking about when we say that you need to suffer like Christ, and that that's only a fleshly, earthly suffering. It has nothing to do with impending suffering in eternity. Uh, Jesus talks about that, and he talks about how those that make it to the end actually will not suffer in that way. But those who, who depart, those that do not follow him, well, they will suffer those things. I think it's interesting that Peter talks about this, that he's saying, you disciples need to arm yourself and get ready to suffer that you need to suffer like Christ, that you shouldn't forsake Christ when suffering hits, um, that you don't hit the road when bad days and harsh times come. And I think that's interesting because Peter definitely did that a few different times. In Mark 8, Jesus tells the disciples about his suffering and death, and Peter rebukes him. And Jesus says... And this is Mark 8 31 through 33 Jesus says that he being Peter has set his mind on things of man and not of God so what that tells me is that if I look at the suffering of this life through the lens of man my response is the same as Peter's don't say that's gonna happen Jesus that's no you need, you need to stop saying this People are not going to want to keep following you if you say these things. Or it might just be Peter's love for Christ was such that he didn't want to see it happen, so he was trying to say, no, 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 let that not happen. You know, may it never be kind of thing. But Jesus says that's the mind of of man. But rather, you should have the mind of God. And the mind of God doesn't consider these earthly sufferings as something that should detract us or or, or distract us from, from our end goal. Peter armed himself to suffer in the wrong way at times. So so it's really interesting that he's the one saying this. You know, He's the one that boldly said that he was willing to follow Jesus even to to death. And he's also the one that Jesus said would, would not do that. Peter's the one that spoke up and said, Lord, we've left everything and followed you. But then as you fast forward, he's the one that was willing to deny his friend and the one that he called Christ, the Son of God. When Peter wasn't the one suffering, Jesus was the one suffering. As Jesus is suffering, Peter's the one, knowing that he could walk in the steps of Jesus and he could be right there next to him and suffer alongside of him. Knowing that that might be what would happen, he denied his savior. After Jesus had suffered on the cross and and had died, Peter's the one that's found back in the boat fishing. Now Jesus goes back and tells him, well you need to get to work, you need to feed my sheep, you need to serve others. You need to teach. and You need to lead. So it's really interesting that Peter's the one that's saying this right now, which, which is, I think, a good lesson for us, that maybe in times past we haven't been willing to suffer for righteousness' sake. We haven't been willing to stand out and reject the worldly lifestyle, and instead we've embraced it, and we've been unwilling to suffer like Christ. Well, if that's the case, then... Yes, you can feel guilty about that. There could be a sense of shame about that, but that doesn't mean you can't turn from that. That doesn't mean that you can't start having the mind of Christ now. That doesn't mean that you should just keep on just living a worldly life and just not worry about the suffering that that is to come. We need to change our mindset and change our lives to align ourselves to Christ. That's what Peter eventually got and and i would I would encourage us all to to Follow the same path of Peter. Not, not during the denial part, <laughs> but follow the same path as in, if we have done that, turn from that. Start embracing the call to follow Christ, even though it's a, a call where that, those footsteps lead to suffering. It's just an earthly suffering. Another point that I do want to make is that, like I've already touched on, that earthly suffering will come when you stop sinning. If you stop sinning, and I don't mean that you never have an evil thought in your heart. I mean, when you stop walking the path of sin, when you stop walking down that path of darkness, there will be earthly suffering. He says that we've spent too much time in sin, living our lives in an unrestrained behavior and involved in all sorts of immorality. These people have been acting like the world around them, and so have we at times. But, it, but it's, we've done that for too long, and it's time to stop that, he says. The time that is passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Look, it's almost like you had your fun, okay? And it wasn't really fun, but you thought it was. You thought it was a good thing. You thought it was fine. Well, that time's done. You know something different now. You know there's another life to live now because you're in Christ. So put that away. Now, when we do that, those are things that people take notice of. When, when we stop practicing those things, people will think it's strange. People will ask questions. The The job that I that I had when I was working in recruiting, there was, and I'm not going to uh, get into too many details, but there was a guy that started working there that I don't think people really knew, knew much about him, but they knew one thing, they knew his, his faith. And it His faith was very different from from my faith and very different than I think everybody in his faith. Um, He believed in in one thing, but but no one had seen his life. No one had seen his example. Those people that were saying this, they were saying, hey, well, you know, uh, I'm I'm trying to make up a name because I almost said his name. Um, You know, Tim, I mean, you know, he's this. And so kind of a weird one there. No one had talked to him. No one found out what he believed. No one saw his example. They just knew because of his belief system, he was a weirdo. He wasn't going to practice the same things that they would practice. He wasn't going to be involved in sensuality and passions. He wasn't going to go drinking with them. He wasn't going to go to the parties with them. He wasn't going to worship money the way they would want him to. So he was motivated to get out there and be a good salesman. He wasn't going to do any of those things. little caveat, he was an odd guy, okay? Um, beyond just... You know, his wanting to please God and wanting to uh, live a moral lifestyle. He, he was an odd fellow. And I don't know why I said fellow. He was an odd, an odd dude, an odd bird, you know. Um, and I didn't really connect with him. I, I tried a little bit. I just, it was not very, it was not a conversation I enjoyed any time I got into a conversation with him. So just understand that when it says that we're a peculiar people, that doesn't mean you have to try to be a weirdo just because it means that you stop living like the world Jesus was a very engaging person and I think people wanted to be around him because he performed miracles I think people wanted to be around him because he said things that they hadn't heard or at least in a way that they hadn't heard it but there was something about him as well that people were drawn to and I don't know what that was I I I don't know at all what it was and then I think of someone like John the Baptist right people were drawn to him and he did look like a weirdo. He did stand out, but that was fine. So, but, but just because we see some people that really stand out because their personality and the way they carry themselves is just kind of not appealing, don't think that's what Christ and God are calling you to. They're calling you to stand out because you don't look like the world. They're calling you to stop sinning and stop having the mind of a sinner, someone that is, it, it is engaging in the, in the passions of this life and the lust of the flesh. So they will be so they were surprised when this guy didn't want to do the same things, but I'll tell you what if when they found out that I wasn't willing to be a part of some things, they didn't talk well, I don't know what they said behind my back, but they didn't talk about me in a weird way. they actually wanted to know about some things and ask some questions, and there was even one time I remember a few people as they were participating in the thing that I didn't want to participate in, they said, "That's really cool, I respect that." And then they carried on, okay. And I don't want to say that's fine as in that's fine that they kept on doing what they were doing. But I'm, I'm fine with the fact that they noticed the difference. And that, that wasn't enough for them to stop doing what they were doing. But at least they noticed the difference. Well, that's not always going to be the case. When you stop sinning, when you stand out like Christ did, there will be times where people turn on that. Now, we hope sometimes that it, I mean, I think that most of us hope that it doesn't end the way it ended for Christ if we're being honest with ourselves, but we need to be prepared for it. And one way we prepare for it is stop sinning. Stop walking that path. Stop having a mindset of that you're finding enjoyment in these things of this world because you know that there are difficulties in this world. That's not going to be the solution. All of these sins center around a few different things. Um, they They center around what I would say the lust of the flesh, Um, sex, food, and alcohol, basically, is what it is. I'm pretty sure those are the same things that we see around us today. If you were going to just fully jump into the ways of the world, you would be fully jumping into those activities that center around around sex, food, and alcohol. Then he mentions lawless idolatry, which I think also would have involved those same things for them, especially for the Gentiles sex, food, and alcohol. That's how they brought worship to their gods at times. Those were the things they participated in. I do want to point out that he doesn't only mention drunkenness. He does mention drinking parties as well. And for any conversations that you've been in where people try to find the line of what is okay and what is not okay, he mentions drinking parties. So let's not ignore that. Drunkenness is not the only thing that's a sin here. He also does mention drinking parties. The hard part about giving up all of these things is that we seem to choose what is natural. So my question that I I just want you to think about for a second is what comes natural for you? Just who you are what comes natural for you? What way of life seems natural to you? In this room, there are a lot of different personalities I'm wired a different way than Richard is, than Kelly is. I'm wired a different way than than probably everybody in here. And and you're wired differently than almost everybody in here as well. There are certain things that come natural to you that would not come natural to me. Some of those things that come natural, quote unquote, are actually the natural man that is coming forward. And I'm not saying that's a good thing. That That's actually, in a, in a way, a bad thing. I'm the type of person that I like to go with a crowd. Now now some of you don't have any problem just standing out and being different. If a, if a bunch of people were going to do something, I just, I thrive on that energy. So the natural person that I am actually would lead me down a wrong path at times. But I can use that for good things, right? But that's not the natural way. That's not what comes, that's not normal for me. Well I think that's why we have to change our nature, to be ready to choose what is spiritual in the moment. When you're faced with an opportunity of what are you gonna do? Are you gonna stand out and look like Christ and be different from the world? Or are you gonna do what's natural? Preparing yourself by changing your nature and being like Christ. That is one of the things that we get from from Romans when he talks about baptism. That we are raised to walk in newness of life. We have changed our very nature. We are no longer worldly. We are no longer led by the flesh. We are led by the spirit. Let's go to Romans 7 really quick. Romans chapter 7. And we're going to pick up in verse 15. Romans seven fifteen. I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Now, I will say that I don't think this is specifically talking about the situation I'm painting. I just mean this internal struggle we're going to see here is the same internal, internal struggle that we all can relate to. If I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry, carry it out. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. You almost get the picture of someone being possessed in this. That if I just keep on allowing what is natural for me, what is sinful for me to if I keep letting that fester within me and I keep living that out and I keep keep walking down that path, it's no longer I who do it. It's sin that dwells within me. It's almost as if you don't have control over your life anymore. I don't think that's his teaching. I think he's trying to paint the, the picture and really delve into the internal struggle that we all feel when we want to do good, but somehow evil keeps coming out. And yet, I don't want to do bad, and I don't want to do evil, and somehow that's what keeps happening in my life. I'm being led by sin. I'm being led by what seems natural for me, where, whereas what I need to do is, and like I said, we need to change our nature. And I think that's what this is pointing to here. What we want to do should be lined up so closely with what Christ did that that becomes natural. And then it won't be sin that dwells within us. It'll be righteousness. It'll be all the qualities of Christ. We're alive spiritually when we choose Jesus and when we choose suffering rather than choosing sin just to avoid the suffering. We're alive to God when we resist sin and suffer for Jesus. Now, there are times that we'll we'll be tempted in the midst of suffering, and, and I think that's even harder. You're in the middle of a hard time, a difficult time, and then there's that temptation coming back. There is that thing you thought you gave up, and it's just one time. It, it's just to kind of escape the suffering. Well, that's that sin that dwells within you, that you don't want to do, but you wind up doing. And it'll hit when it's the worst time for you. In those moments, it's an opportunity for us to get closer to God, it's when it's most difficult. It's, a, it's an opportunity for us to resist the devil and see him flee from us and draw closer to God. But it's hard and and it's kind of scary at times. When we feel that, what we're really feeling is we're feeling the tug of the spiritual side of ourselves winning over and that can be scary. Because what we're doing at that point is we're giving up on our own will and we're seeking the Lord's will fully. But in those moments when we want to do that, I would say that we see a lot of people in the Bible that that fell back in those moments. And they, we see them immediately, not immediately, but we see so, several of them when they gave in to sin, even when it was a difficult time for them, they regretted that. And there was weeping and there was sorrow. And that's something that we should feel as well. What we ought to do is go through that difficulty and don't go back to the sin that so easily ensnares us. Don't go back to the thing that seems natural, but continue striving to be sinless like Christ. Continue walking down through the, on the, with the footsteps that he walked. That actually takes us closer to God. So let's go back to 1 Peter 4. And what I want to do with the rest of our time is, instead of just talking about stopping sin and not, not continuing with a sinful life, let's talk about what we should be doing. Because I think 7 through 11 really point that out. This is how we arm ourselves with the character of Christ. Not only is it we stop sinning, but it's an act of faith. So what does he say to do here? Well, he says the first thing we need to do is we need to be self-controlled. And really, I think he's saying that we need to give up control to God. We need to control ourselves by actually seeking for God to control control us. I say that because what we said earlier about what comes natural is actually not good. But if we change our nature, then what we're seeking is for Christ to take control. This is not like a Jesus take the wheel kind of thing. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, like, and if you don't get that reference, that's probably a good thing. But um, it means that you don't like country music and whatever. Um, you can, I can do without it sometimes. Um, but we need to be seeking for God and Christ to, to control our lives. And, but again, that's our choice to do that or not. So be self-controlled, okay? Abstain from the things that really appeal to you. But then he says that we need to be sober. We need to be alert. And we need to do that because that's how we prepare for the suffering. That's how we prepare for the, for the difficult times and the difficult decisions on who's going to be part of your life. Are you going to go out and party with your friends like you used to? Are you going to sleep with that person that, hey, look, you know what? It, it, it's just one time. Are you going to go and just give yourself over to the flesh well, if we're self-controlled and we're sober, we're ready for those times. But then he says that in verse 8, we need to prepare for suffering by loving one another. And he says that love covers a multitude of sins. I don't know whose sins he's talking about. I don't know if he's talking about our sins or other sins. Because if I keep loving, if I do what he says and I keep loving others earnestly, am I helping cover their sins? Well, in some ways it might be because I'm probably not leading them down a path that they shouldn't go. I'm not influencing them in a negative way. I'm not kind of pushing them to be angry with me. I'm not causing wrath uh, in their hearts, whatever it might be. But also it helps myself. It helps me because when I continue to focus on loving others, I'm loving myself less. I'm being selfless. And then when when it comes time to suffer because I'm not for suffering for sin but suffering for the Lord, well, I've already stopped loving myself to where I don't regard it as really being that hard to go through difficult times. I'm focused on others so much that it's okay what happens to me. It, It makes it easier for us to look past our situation that we're in. Then verse 9, he said, and I think this is following the, the pattern of loving others. He says to show hospitality. I need to be open in hospitality and take others in, even if it might bring upon suffering. Even if doing that exposes me for who I am. I need to be willing to do that. I need to take others in, be hospitable. Now, some people's situation is such that they can't house them. They can't have them stay at their house. There's a way to be hospitable welcoming, taking care of people's needs, without actually having them stay in your home. And that's something we should be doing. That's how we, and if you think about it, was Jesus ever hospitable? Did he have did he have a house to invite people to? Not that we know of. I don't see any example of that. But did he show a welcoming character and a welcoming kind of vibe where people just could be drawn to him and he cared for their needs? Well, yes, he had that. And that's how we arm ourselves in the same way of Christ. We have that mindset. And then 10 and 11 really just speaks to using all you have from God to serve others as stewards of God. You don't use what you have from God for yourself. You use it for God. You don't use it to improve your situation. You don't use it so that you keep from suffering or make life a little bit easier for you. You you use it for the Lord. If you have a way of speaking that is engaging for people, you know what? Speak the oracles of God. Use it for the Lord. If you have a personality that people are drawn to, don't just use it so that people walk away being like, man, I like Blake. I really just like being around him. Use it as a way to influence others for the Lord. If if you're a type of person that you're just very crafty and, and you're, you're good in those ways, well, don't just use it so people are just impressed with what you're able to do and kind of, like, kind of be uh, internal with all. That's how I, I see people that are really crafty and... Um, I don't know, just very uh, thoughtful about things. Sometimes it's easy for them to be a little bit reclusive and just kind of work on their thing. It's their expression. It's it's from who of who they are, right? Well, instead, use that as some way for others. Serve others in that way. He doesn't talk about arts and crafts here. I'm just using that as an example <laughs> of of the opposite end of the spectrum of someone who's like um, very extroverted. If you're more introverted, then you can use that for the Lord as well. The whole point is what he says in verse 11. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. You do what you do. You serve the Lord. You use everything you have from God for him. And in everything, God's glorified through Christ Jesus. Our whole theme about shining his lights, we've gone to what he says in Matthew where he talks about, you know, that we need to shine like lights, we need to be salty like salt is. And what does it say there? That they may turn and glorify God. That's the same thing we're seeing here. Since we've started with our theme uh, for the year in September, I've noticed more and more how often this happens, where when he talks about the things that you can do as a Christian and how you can serve, the end result is that God is glorified. And he doesn't just say it one or two places. He, He says it repeatedly. I think that's for us to kind of check ourselves and make sure we know who we are striving to serve so therefore we're comfortable with him being glorified and not ourselves, knowing that there is a glory that awaits us. Christ went through the suffering for a purpose, which brings us to the, the last point that I want to make, which just that Jesus' way of suffering actually leads to God. It doesn't just lead to us being in the ground somewhere or us lying on the side of the road or us being poor and depressed and woe is me if we arm ourselves with the way of thinking of Christ and we suffer like Christ we follow his path it leads us to God chapter 4 verse 13 says rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed not your glory but if you've tied your life so close to Christ you know when his glory is revealed you know you're going with him you you know there's something awaiting you as well Christ made that point very clear I keep bringing up the gospel of John because we've been studying it so much and it's just easy to make comparisons but he said he had to leave in order to make a place for us to prepare a place for us so his sufferings that led to him leaving those disciples actually was good for them and it was good for us as well Let's go down to chapter four, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We suffer in the flesh and trust that the Lord will take care of our soul and guard it. I don't want to be the protector and guardian of my soul. I'm limited. I'm only able to do so much. I entrust myself to God. Why would I ever try to take control of something that I don't have much control over, something I can't even understand? My soul and and, and my spirit. I need to give that over to God. So whatever happens in the flesh, I just need to trust God with my soul. Lastly, let's go back to, I didn't get James to read this, but chapter 3, verse 18. Peter says here, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. Christ suffered to bring us to God, so when we when we follow him, when we pursue the path of Jesus, when we arm ourselves with a way of thinking, we actually go through the suffering, we just know we're being brought closer to God. Now, what, what I don't mean when I say that, just to reiterate this, is that we suffer for doing evil, and somehow that's bringing us closer to God. He's made that point in chapter 3 and chapter 4. That's That's not a good thing. That's not some sort of badge that you can get. That's not some sort of jewel in your crown. Oh, I suffered. I went through a hard time. Well, if you just suffer for doing evil, that's, that's nothing for you. That's of no benefit to you. But you suffer for Christ, then you are being brought closer to God, and the glory that awaits you is the same glory that awaited Christ. Um, there, was a, there was a story in the news, uh, I think it was it last week, a week or two ago, where there was um, a guy who was a, a missionary that went out and he tried to he didn't get a, I don't even know if he got a chance to say a word, but he tried to evangelize to a group that was an indigenous tribe in the Indian Ocean. and it was against the law for him to do that and it was against the law for the people on the boat to actually drop him off there and like give him a small, Raft or, or or whatever it was, small boat to actually get to the island that they were on, um, but they did it anyways. And he felt that that was he was compelled to do so. And he wrote, a, this is my understanding. Um, I don't know if everything you read on the internet is true, but I, I trust it more and more for some reason. Um, what what he said in a, in a letter, I think, was that he just felt like that's what God wanted him to do. But he but and he really did not think that he, they were going to kill him because. This, he just wanted to teach them so much. He, for, I think, the past few years, he had been preparing for this type of thing. He went to some, like, boot camp in Kansas where they, like, put him through the ringer on, like, what happens when people get aggressive with you? How should you, How do you communicate with people where you don't speak the same language? I don't even know what they speak there, if it's just some sort of, like, uh, clicking kind of thing. or I don't know what it was, but there was no way for him to communicate with these people. There was no way for them to relate. Um, in in any way, really, he couldn't just drop off Bibles and hope that they read it. I mean, that wasn't going to happen. So, so he went through all of this process, and then so he goes, and what do you know? They they killed him. Uh, they saw him coming. They threw arrows at him, and I don't I don't even know if he made it to the beach before he died. I I feel bad for him and for his family, but. That's not what this is talking about. This isn't saying go intentionally put yourself in a situation where death is right there and that's how, you su- how, that's how you suffer with the same way of thinking of Christ. I'm not saying that he wasn't having the mind of Christ either. I'm just saying that's not what he says here. That's not what Peter points out. What Peter points out is the way you have the same way of thinking as Christ is you stop sinning. You focus on serving, and then you're ready for the impending suffering. Now, if that means that somehow people come at you with arrows, okay, well, there you go. You're ready for it. If that means that you're a little ostracized from work, okay, well, you're ready for it. If that means that there's a breakdown in your relationship with your family, and it makes it, there's some tension there, okay, you're ready for it. If that means that you miss out on some things and there's an internal suffering because you're not able to participate in some things that you would really like that really appeal to you, okay, you're, you're ready for that suffering because you have taken on the mind of Christ. And that's never something that you should be ashamed of. That's not something that you should feel really conflicted about. Is that a good thing or a bad thing to have the mind? It's a good thing. When you put it in practice, that's when there's the conflict. That's when you start wondering if it's worth it. And just know that it is worth it. That you'll know it's worth it when his glory is revealed. But between now and then, that's that's the state we're in. That's why it's hard for us. So my encouragement is to not be afraid to put on the mind of Christ, to go through whatever pains this life has to throw at you, and just know that... Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit. So when you suffer and you go through those difficulties and those pains, you're being being brought closer to God as well. If you have not yet decided that you need to be a Christian and be a follower of Christ, then we would like to help you with that. We would love to, to, whether it's some teaching, whether it's sitting down and studying some things, or maybe... It's just a simple conversation. We'd like to have that with you. I don't know everyone's situation here at all. Or if you realize that you have not been arming yourself with the mind of Christ, and you want to talk about that more. If you realize that you might not be suffering the way you should as a Christian, and you've actually given in to the ways of the world, we can talk about those things as well. If you if you do need to respond to uh, to the call of Christ, once you come, as we stand and sing, or talk with someone after the lesson.